0: Welcome to the Discover Church podcast. We exist to equip disciples who make disciples of Jesus. Our desire is that everyone will know someone who is a disciple of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today leads to change, both in you and your community, because Jesus changes everything. To find out more about Discover Church, visit www.discover.church. Hey, Discover. Well, in case you missed it, We had Father's Day in the park this last Sunday, and it was an incredible time, to use a Christian word, of fellowship. It was awesome. We all got our tans on. I preached in shorts for the first time in my entire life, and it was incredible to see the amount of connection happening around yard games. It was just a really, really fun time. There was ice cream and shaved ice and kids playing at the playground. It was just incredible. And the worship experience was next level, just being out in nature. And uh, we were able to preach through and learn together through Mark chapter 10. And I just wanted to be sure those of you who weren't able to make it on Sunday, or those of you who were able to make it, but your kids were poking you with sticks the entire time, so you might have been a little distracted during the message. I wanted to be sure that all of us as one church have the opportunity to be on the same page when it comes to growing together in God's word. So if you're just joining us as a church, we've been going through the book of Mark for 10 weeks now. What we've been doing is we've been studying one chapter a week. And because we study one chapter a week, and if you're new to the book of Mark, uh, Mark moves really quickly. And I love that about about Mark. He's, He's like the action movie director of gospel writers. He's just keeping the action going. And what his intention is, is really to answer some questions for us. And the questions that he's answering is, who is Jesus? What did he do? And what does it look like to follow him? And Mark answers those questions by continuously putting Jesus in front of us to the point where when you're done reading the book of Mark, when you're done reading just one chapter in the book of Mark, you cannot come away neutral about Jesus. He's either the Son of God, the Savior of the world, or he's a crazy person. And so Mark just keeps answering that question, answering that question. And what's happened in Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10 has become the passage that I will use when I'm on an airplane, sitting next to people and they find out what about what i do they ask what i do for a living and then i say i'm a pastor and they say oh uh maybe inevitably when somebody finds out that you're a christian or that i'm a pastor a lot of their questions tend to be the same question that we're going to be wrestling with today and honestly a lot of people's response to this question is i'm a good person therefore i have eternal life and so we're going to see an incredible answer to that question and we're we're not able to cover the whole chapter every week, and so we're trusting that you'll be able to go in and, and read the different parts of the chapter with your life group or with the Holy Spirit in your personal study, and just let the God's Word come alive for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and we're going to get right to it father we're just so grateful for your word we're grateful for the nuances of it the how we're rewarded when we dig deep for truth in your word and god so we pray that you would meet us here today that your holy spirit would guide us convict us search us know us and change us and we pray all these things in jesus name amen so mark chapter 10 there's a lot of um famous well i guess famous stories uh if you've been in the church for a while there's some popular stories in mark chapter 10 one of those is the story when jesus is out there doing his thing and people bring children to jesus and his disciples reaction is get those kids away from jesus he doesn't have time for them and the culture back there was wildly different than our culture today you are respected by your worth and we understand children today as our future and so the more that we invest in children, it's the same as making an investment in our children, and our children are wildly important in our society. And politicians know that. Politicians will literally kiss babies to to make you like them. And back then, because kids in Jesus's time, because kids didn't have money, they didn't work, uh, they were to be seen and not heard. Children were kind of outcasts in that society. They were very small, and therefore Jesus wouldn't have had time for them. But Jesus says, bring them to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus doesn't qualify that statement with character attributes about children, that you have to be, you know, some people look at childlike faith. Some people say gullible like a child. That's not necessarily what Jesus is saying. We're going to see that come alive as it's kind of defined, and Jesus kind of puts a End that statement he makes about those children and this next story which some of you have heard of as the rich young ruler the story of the rich young ruler and what's really curious about that like even in my Bible it says uh, the rich young man uh, above the passage and what's interesting about that is Mark never says he's young Mark actually never says he's a ruler it's in Matthew's account Uh, Matthew's firsthand account of this, what he saw, what he heard, and what he reports on is that this man was young. And Luke's account, Luke's the one who points out that this man was a ruler. But in typical Mark fashion, Mark wants it to be all about Jesus, so he doesn't give you any kind of he doesn't color. There's no narrative. He doesn't tell you what the scene looked like or doesn't it really give you any information about this person. It's just about Jesus. So we're going to read this passage together. Uh, I'm trying not to, I'm trying to make the narrative come alive without interrupting it with commentary so much, but it's really hard to do in this passage. So verse 17 is where we're going to start in Mark chapter 10. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey. Now that word setting out means intention. He is an he has intention of going somewhere. He's on a journey. Where is his journey? Where is, where is he purposely going? And where he is purposely going is he's made the turn. Now that the disciples know that he is the Messiah. They've confessed him as the Messiah. He is on his way to the cross. He is on his way to Calvary. He has set out on a mission. He's going to get there. He's going to die for their sins. He's going to fulfill the purpose that he's come. So it says a man ran Up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what we see there is is the right question. Nobody's asked Jesus that question yet. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And what's interesting about that question is he says, what must I do? And for a lot of us, that's the same question that we have, especially if we might be the type of person that's leaning heavily on our own actions, that's leaning heavily on the fact that we are a good person. And to kind of put a Father's Day twist on this, we wonder about that a lot. As men, every man is wondering, do I have what it takes to be a man? And for a lot of men, that's a question that only another man can answer. That's a question that only another father can a- answer. And so they go their whole lives wondering, do I have what it takes? And if that's what you believe, then you don't really have the answer to that question. You believe the answer to that question is solved, is answered by my achievements, my performance, by what I do in fact this is a multi-generational thing it doesn't matter what how old the person is who's in this this is my office who's in the office with me who will sit down across from me and tell me about their father and maybe they have some grievances about their father and what they'll tell me is their father was absent and never around never really taught them never really hung out with them and was just doing all the time And if you talk to their father about this whole situation, they'll say, I did so much for them. I worked two jobs so that they could have all that they had. I did so much for them. I sacrificed so much. I was their soccer coach. But they were coaching other kids. You know, it wasn't this one-on-one. It wasn't a relationship. And we're going to see that really come alive through the rest of this story. But again, what he says to Jesus is, "'Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' And Jesus said to him, "'Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone.'" What you need to understand is in ancient Judaism, the adjective good was reserved for God. David wrote a psalm about how he was born into iniquity, that he was born a sinner. And so they believed that no man, no human being was good except for God. And to use that adjective, good teacher, Jesus calls him out a little bit and says, why do you call me good? What he's essentially saying is, am I God to you or am I just a teacher to you? And that young man kind of answers that question in this story as we're going. So again, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. And verse 19, it says, you know the commandments do not murder do not commit adultery do not steal do not bear false witness do not defraud honor your father and mother and he said to him teacher doesn't call him good teacher teacher all these I have kept from my youth now, now what is now what is happening here so just so you know a lot of people think when they hear the adjective that this man was young and that he was a ruler that the reason why he ran to Jesus was because he wanted a pat on the back. He was like, oh, there's Jesus. He should know me. And so he ran to Jesus to be acknowledged and admonished and praised by Jesus. And a lot of times we think that because he's defined as young and a ruler. And so we assume that this young man is maybe cocky, is prideful and we, we assign all that kind of stuff to them but the truth is that for somebody to have kept these commandments since their youth wasn't a foreign thing it wasn't weird it wasn't strange if you were a sadducee if you were a pharisee if you were a member of the sanhedrin if you were a ruler of the t- temple you would have kept the ten commandments and the entire society was organized and structured with with 600 laws to keep you from breaking the ten commandments So it wouldn't have been that hard to not kill somebody, to not commit adultery. It wouldn't have been that hard. And so this this young man has kept these Ten Commandments from his youth. The other curious thing is if that's true, why did he run to Jesus to ask him what it took to inherit eternal life? I mean, he kept the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's taught that that's what you do to inherit eternal life. Why did he run to Jesus? And I believe that the answer is because he recognized something was missing. So when I'm sitting next to that person on that plane, and they're telling me how great of a person they are, and I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven, right? I know where I'm going when I die. And the answer is it's not based on what you do. It's not based on your achievements. You will never be good enough. Your good deeds, as Paul says, are just dirty rags. And so this young man understood something was missing. And so he ran to Jesus to answer that question. Do I have what it takes to enter the kingdom of God? All these commandments I've kept from my youth. And it says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have And give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So it says, looked at him. That word, the Greek word for looked, is an intense looking. It's as if Jesus looked into his soul. And then it says, he loved him. He loved him. Now there's some interesting things in the story, but that to me is probably one of the most interesting, because it's the only place in the Gospel of Mark that Mark describes somebody as being loved by Jesus. Jesus will call people daughter, he'll call them son, he'll say your sins are forgiven. He does a lot of remarkable things, but this is the first place where it says he loved him. Seeing his soul, seeing his intentions, knowing the way that he must have been raised, Jesus loved him. And because he loved him, he was bringing them out, drawing them out to draw him in, drawing them out to show him that his good works are not enough. He says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. That's not a law. It's not a part of the Ten Commandments. Nowhere in the Ten Commandments does it say, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. So what's, what's Jesus doing here? In verse 22, it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. What Jesus is doing is what the gospel does to all of us. In fact, it's what the law does for all of us. I find it interesting that Jesus had gone all across ancient Mesopotamia preaching the gospel, the good news, and for this young man, he doesn't tell him to believe and repent, but rather for this young man, he uses the law for its original purpose. See, the law can't save you. It's like an x-ray. The law's job is to reveal to us that it doesn't work. The the law's job is to reveal to us our sin. If I go to the doctor right now because I have pain in my wrist and I get an x-ray and it turns out that I have a fractured wrist, that x-ray does not heal my wrist. It just shows what's wrong. And then I can go through and get some care and the the cast or whatever that I need to make sure that I am mended, that I'm healed, and that I'm set free from that pain. That's the laws job for us. It cannot save us. What Jesus is saying in this and exposing to us and his disciples who are looking is man we've got some problems. And he's exposing to this young man that in fact the king in his life is his possessions. In fact the one thing where his faith lies is not Jesus. But his possessions and he has lots of them but it's really interesting as it continues to go on in verse 23 and jesus looked around again it's that intense looking looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of god and the disciples were amazed at his words but jesus said to them again now what's interesting here is listen to what he says this time so again he says how difficult it will be for those who have wealth How difficult it will be for those who trust in their ability. How difficult it will be for those who trust in their achievement and their accumulation of goods. How difficult it will be for those who have lots of status and honor. How difficult it will be for them to enter the kingdom of God. See, I don't think he's talking about physical wealth here because of what he goes on and says again. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. There's no mention of wealth there. It's just generally, it's difficult to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceeding, exceedingly ex- astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? What's interesting is it seems as though the disciples have now identified with the rich man. Who then can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. What Jesus is saying is, This is a rescue mission. To live a perfect life is something only the divine can do. And Jesus is saying, I came not to wipe the slate clean and give you a second chance, because you're just going to mess it up again. Jesus is saying, I came to live the life that you could not live and lay my life down for you. I'll be clothed in your sin, bearing its penalty, and you will be given my righteousness. That's what Jesus is saying. And that is a miracle of God. It is an impossible thing that only God can do. And because there's something profound being said, you can guarantee that Peter's going to have something to say about it. So in verse 28, it says, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, with persecutions, very curious there, and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. See that despair, that bad news, where that man held his head low and left, was actually a doorway to hope. Now what's interesting is, There are some teachings, we call it prosperity doctrine, who will read this passage and say, if I leave everything and follow Jesus, he will make me rich. Which in the context of this passage doesn't make any sense at all because of Jesus' warnings. What does it mean that in this lifetime, I will gain a thousand lands and a thousand homes and curiously, a thousand mothers, a thousand brothers, a thousand sisters, a thousand fathers. Well, for some of us, if we can be honest, now I've been blessed with an incredibly earthly father who has raised me in the ways of the Lord. My house was filled of grace and blessing, and I love my earthly father. I have a heavenly father that loves me unconditionally, but I also, because I have left, I want to believe that I left everything, but isn't it something we're all working on, but because I have left so much, I've sacrificed some things to follow Jesus, I can tell you it's absolutely true in my lifetime that I have gained a thousand spiritual fathers. If Father's Day for you is difficult because you've lost your father, if Father's Day for you is difficult because you never knew your father, if Father's Day is difficult for you because the memories that you have with your father are not good ones, then I'm here to tell you that when you leave everything and follow Jesus, you will gain a 1,000 spiritual fathers. I have spiritual fathers who are grandfathers but can still do a handstand on a skateboard. It's incredible to see. I have spiritual fathers that have brought me to Honduras. I have spiritual fathers that are missionaries in Ukraine and Africa. I have spiritual fathers that text me to check in on me, that ask me how things are going. I have spiritual fathers who I had lunch with yesterday about a new project for the church. It's going to be incredible. I have spiritual fathers who tell me all they, all the time they love me. I have gained a thousand spiritual fathers. I have gained a thousand homes. I know that seems weird for you. A lot of people read this and they're like, I, I, so I'm going to get a home on the beach. I'm going to get a home in the mountains. I'm going to get a home over there. I'm going to get a home in LA. All these different places where they're going to gain homes because of this passage. Physical homes that belong to them. I've gained a thousand spiritual homes. No doubt, I believe that I've eaten in a thousand houses. When people invite me over for dinner, I am enjoying their home. I've, I've slept in a thousand different homes. People have invited me over, my family over on vacation. You can stay with us. I have gained so much from following Jesus spiritually, and it's absolutely changed my life. But here's the most important thing. Jesus forsake everything. He left everything to follow his father. He stepped out of the VIP room of heaven where angels worshipped him constantly, where he could create things with just a word, and he put skin on. He experienced pain for the first time, physical pain, emotional pain. He was forsaken. He was betrayed. He, He was lied to. His disciples left him in his greatest time of need and abandoned him. He was physically beaten. He experienced shame on that cross. and Hebrews tells us, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that joy was you and me entering into this family where we have thousands of fathers, thousands of mothers, and thousands of brothers, and thousands of sisters, a family where we have eternal life, not based on our good works, but based on Christ's good works. And when I have the sincerity of heart and faith to say to God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe that what Jesus did on that cross was for me. He bore my shame, and now I have a life that is truly life because it is the life of Christ that I am utterly fulfilled. I have that cause that I'm willing to die for. I have the answer to that question, I have what it takes to follow Jesus. I have what it takes to be a man because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on what Jesus has done on that cross. And tomorrow when I fail, I fail with my wife, I fail with my children, I fail in my own personal goals, I fail to honor Christ I don't run from God, I run to God because Jesus has fulfilled it all and his last words get to be my first words when I wake up and grace is new the next morning, it is finished. And that is the gift that Christ has given us. And so I'm hoping that this passage transforms your life today. I'm hoping that just the little time that we've been able to spend together has been a blessing to you and changing you and I cannot wait to do this all again and fellowship with you this Sunday. So we'll see you there. Have a great summer.